Well, September is here. September the 1st. This is a monumental day in the calendar. It's a new season beginning, right? I know it's still technically summer, but the weather is changing, and that brings anxiety to Canadians all across the country. <laughs> and school is about to start. It's a bit of apprehension there, perhaps, for some of you. Some of you are going from you know, grade 8 to grade 9, or grade uh, 12 into university, or maybe you're graduating university, or have, and a newer career awaits you. There's all kinds of changes. Teachers are going back to school. Maybe you're starting a new job. Maybe there's some other kind of change or new season that awaits you. And it's natural and it's normal for these kinds of changes and change in general to produce a certain amount of apprehension and perhaps even nerves and anxiety. Anybody ever experienced that before? I, I went back to school um, just over a year and a half ago, I guess almost two years ago now. Uh, I'm doing a, a degree at a seminary at McMaster Divinity College, and I vividly remember um, my first class, my first day on my first class. I went into this uh, lecture hall and sat down, the professor before me, feeling a little bit inadequate, wondering if I had what it took, you know, been many years, we'll just say that, since I was in school. And uh, then we began to go through the syllabus, and as we went through the syllabus, my confidence continued to take a hit. I was getting quite nervous, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of textbook that I would be responsible for reading. And uh, then we got to the style guide, the style guide. Anybody ever met a style guide before? This is uh, the style guide which would govern everything that I was going to write throughout my seminary career. It appeared to be approximately half an inch thick. And as I began flipping through the pages and looking at it, my heart sank deeper and deeper and deeper. And I began to think things like, oh Jesus, I am not sure if... I should be doing this. Did you really call me to do this? Is this really what you had in mind for me? Or am I on my own because I don't think I can do this? Anybody ever had those kinds of feelings or thoughts before? Maybe those are the kinds of feelings and thoughts you have right now as you look towards the fall. But I have good news for you. Jesus is never intimidated. God is never intimidated, and he is with you. He is with me. In fact, his, the name of God is I am. In other words, there is no future that God has not discovered yet. There is nothing that God does not know. He sees it all, and in fact, God is waiting for you and I in our next season already. He's already there. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And so we can boldly and confidently step into that new season. Pastor Brian asked us the question last week, how well do you know Jesus? When you and I know Jesus, when we know his love for us, when we know who he is, when we know that he is with us through his spirit, 
it means that we can step into every new season with confidence. You know, the disciples were about to enter into a new season in the Gospel of John, and Jesus knew it. If we look at John 13, we see Jesus preparing his disciples for the time, the season when he would be leaving. Can you imagine being one of those disciples? You have found the Messiah, and you have been with him pretty much 24-7 for the last three years, and he's about to leave. And Jesus even tells them this, but they don't fully get it. And so he takes them to the upper room, and in the upper room, you remember, that's where he celebrates the Passover, and he points to the cup, and he says, this is my blood, the new covenant shed for you. He washes their feet. He tells them he's leaving. He tells them he's sending the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit's with you, but the day is coming when he will be in you. And the disciples are anxious and the disciples are uncertain. They're trying to figure out what does Jesus mean? Why would he leave us? What's going on? They don't understand. And then we turn to John 15. John 15, chapter, chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus begins to paint a picture that is intended to help the disciples as they enter into this new season. And I believe that it will help and comfort you and I as well this morning as we look at this passage to understand the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us and why it will make all the difference as we enter into the new seasons that are ahead of us. I'm going to read um, verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to pull some lessons, just a few lessons out of this passage. This is what it says. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Can you say nothing? Nothing. It's an important word. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Can you say much fruit? And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Let's pause there for a second. Think about that. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus loves you and I as much in the same way that the Father loves Jesus. Anybody convinced that the Father loves Jesus? Well, he loved, Jesus loves you just as much as the Father loves him. Quite a thought. 
Then he says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We're going to examine this a little bit, look for some, for some thoughts. And the first question I have is this. Why would Jesus pick this word picture of vineyards and vines and branches and vine dresser? Why would he pick this to help encourage and prepare his disciples for the new season they're about to enter? Well, I believe it's this. He wants his disciples and he wants you and I to know that we are designed for fruitfulness. Did you know that you were designed for fruitfulness? God formed you, shaped you, created you for the very purpose of bearing fruit. It's interesting about vines that they're really not good for anything else. You can't take the vines without the fruit and really build anything out of them. They're not strong enough to hang a coat on. You can't do much with them at all. They're created. They exist to bear fruit. And that is a picture of you and a picture of me. You and I are created by God to be fruitful. Is that encouraging? As you look into the fall, as you look ahead into this new season, know this. It's not a mistake God has prepared fruitfulness for you this fall, in this season. doesn't matter how anxious it makes you feel. doesn't matter how big the changes are. doesn't matter whether you feel adequate or inadequate. God is with you. God is in you. And he has prepared you to be fruitful in your new season. But Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine. Now, why would he, why would he qualify it? Why would he say the true vine? Well, you have to understand that vineyards were a very common thing in Israel. I haven't been there, but probably they still are. Yes. <laughs> Some people who know nod their heads. They're a common thing. The disciples were used to seeing vineyards. And Galilee was actually considered one of the best places to own a vineyard. Very fruitful area. But um, there's another reason as well. In the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as God's vineyard. But Israel was not a fruitful vineyard. They were described as a rebellious vine that bore wild grapes. And Jesus shows up in Israel talking to God's chosen people. And he says, I am. And the true vine. I am the fulfillment of everything that is in the heart of God for Israel. I am the fulfillment. I'm the true vine. Isn't that a great thought? But but then, you remember up in the upper room when he was celebrating Passover? What did he say represented his blood? The wine, the fruit of the vine represented his blood. It's all pointing to me, he's saying. This word picture is pointing to me. That blood was going to be poured out, and Jesus hung as the true vine 
on the trellis of the cross and poured out his life's blood so that you and I could be fruitful here and now. Isn't that amazing? That is who God is. That's his love for you, his care for you. But then we learn that we are the branches. And what are branches for? Bearing fruit. That's what God wants to do through your life and through mine. And then he says, my father is the vine dresser. Does, that, does anybody own a vine? Okay, uh-oh. <laughs> I don't, just so you know, but I have done some research and learned a little bit about vines myself. You can correct me on anything I'm wrong about later on. So if you own a vine. So Jesus said his father is the vine dresser. I have here some shears that are used for pruning vines. And that's the job of a vine dresser. The vine dresser, the gardener who takes care of the vine, their job is to ensure that the vine produces the maximum yield of grapes that it possibly can, the best yield, not just quantity, but quality. And they use pruning to accomplish that. I've been pruned many times. In fact, I was pruned this weekend. I didn't cut any appendages off. But God pruned me in my heart. I'll tell you a bit about that later. It's a juicy story. And, um, but I'll, t I'll tell you about it. Maybe you can share in my pain. Um, but the reason why God prunes us, why the Father prunes us, is because he loves us. Sometimes when we're being pruned, we, we question and we're like, okay, God, I, I don't understand this. I thought you loved me, right? Because it hurts, because there's cutting involved, because... There's some pain and discomfort involved. But the only reason the vine dresser prunes is to bring the best out of the branches. So in the short term, it might be painful. But in the long term, God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. It's one of my favorite sayings. You can ask my wife. God knows what he's doing. <laughs> When we come up against something that we don't understand, we can rest in the confidence that God loves us and he knows what he's doing. How does God prune us? How does the Father, the vine dresser, prune us? Well, in this passage, we read that he uses his word to prune us. As we read his word, his word is sharper than a two-edged sword, which is actually really a large knife if you look at the original language. And he prunes with his word. He cuts away things that he knows will prevent fruitfulness because he's trying to bring the best out. What is he trying to bring out? The image of his son is what he's trying to bring out. He also uses circumstances to prune us. I didn't say God brings every circumstance because he doesn't, but he has the wisdom and the skill as the vine dresser to take even circumstances that he did not initiate, that were even intended to destroy us, or even things we brought upon ourselves. Anybody ever brought some bad circumstances upon yourself before besides me? Looks like I'm the only... Oh, I saw one, two hands, three... Oh, do I have five? Do I, right? 
But God knows how to take even those things. Have you ever made a mistake? This is for somebody here this morning. Have you ever made a mistake and thought, God, I'm done. I'm just going to have to settle for a second-rate life now. I blew it. God wants you to know he is a skillful vine dresser. And he knows how to take even something you did that was wrong, that was sinful, that caused harm to yourself and others. He knows how to take that and use it to trim and bring out the beauty that is in you. The image of his son. Wow. I feel that. (laughs) It's true. God loves you. As we, as we, as uh, the vine dresser prunes, there's four kind of basic types of pruning that I read about as I studied this. And the first one is this, pinching. Anybody ever been pinched by God before? <laughs> but basically, the, the vine dresser takes his fingers. He doesn't even use anything like a tool or anything. He takes his fingers, and this is, this is really dried out, so I'm not going to be able to do it. But he just pinches a piece off of the vine where energy and life was flowing unnecessarily in order to make sure that he can guide the flow of life to the most productive areas of that branch. That's what God's doing. Then, then he, he does something called topping. And topping is a little more aggressive. There's a, there's a shoot that is being sent out and, it's, and it's, it's in danger of being blown and snapped off by the wind. And God sees it and he's like, well, we don't want that to happen. So I'm going to prune that. And we're like, oh, I didn't like that, right? I was attached to that. (laughs) But God knows best because he's trying to draw out the best in you. He's trying to draw out the image of his son. And so he takes pieces off in order to draw out that fruit. And then there's thinning. Things are getting a little bit crowded. Oh, I didn't, sorry, branch. By the way, this is not a vine. This is from my backyard. I know the difference. (laughs) I am a very bad vine dresser. This is actually part of an apple tree because I didn't have a vine to, uh, next time I'll ask one of you guys who have one so I can use it in my illustration. But, but it's the same principle. There's overcrowding happening. And so God thins it out so that the energy, the life can flow into strategic places rather than all over the place. This is God at work in you and I. And then there's the cutting away of suckers. Those are not, well, they, I guess they could be people. I guess they could be people. But suckers are things that grow up around the trunk of the vine or out of the trunk that, again, are stealing life from where God wants to direct it. And so he cuts the suckers out of your life. I like that, the suckers. Um, And some of the pruning, according to my research, happens during the growing season, But most of it happens during the fall and the winter. And then the vine dresser gets quite a bit more aggressive because 
He's preparing the vine for another season of growth that's coming soon. Let's take that off. All right. Hope I'm doing a good job. I assure you, I assure you that the father is a much better vine dresser than the preacher. Okay? So, let's put, okay. don't want that image in your head of God pruning you and you're like, ah, oh, you know, yeah. But pruning, as I said, is an expression of the Father's love for you. And in the moment, it's painful. In the moment, you question, is God here? Does he love me? Have I done something to offend him? Like, what is going on in my life? But here's the reality of pruning. The vine dresser is never closer to the vine than when he is pruning. It requires contact. It requires being up close and personal with the vine. And when God is pruning you, when you feel him pruning you, it is, a, it is um, affirmation of his love for you and of his presence being close to you. In those moments of pruning, we may feel like he's far away, but in reality, he is closer than he's ever been. Isn't that encouraging? We're designed for fruitfulness, and this fruitfulness is made possible by the life flow of Jesus the vine flowing into us, the branches, and through the pruning of his father, the vine dresser. All right, next. What is Jesus doing here? Why is he using a vineyard to explain to his disciples what is the relationship he wants to have with them? And why is he using this to prepare them for their next season? Secondly, it's because he wants us to know that fruitfulness is possible only, can you say only? Through abiding in Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples in verse four, abide in me. Now, abide, I get it, it's, it's really a Christianese kind of word these days that we don't use a whole lot. We don't talk about abiding a whole lot. But if you want to understand what abiding means, what Jesus means by that word, you have to look at the, the symbolism he's using, at the vine and the branches. What he's saying is, when we abide in him, he's the vine, we're the branch, we are in such a close relationship with him, a life-giving relationship with him, that his life is flowing into us and producing fruit. There is a shared life going on here. There, there is a union between us and Jesus. His life in us and our, our life in him. That's what he means by abiding. And he's saying, if that is going on, you will be fruitful. Your fruitfulness, my fruitfulness, is not produced by our effort. I think that that is good news. Anybody with me? My effort, no matter how hard I try, is not sufficient to produce fruit. I want you to imagine for a moment that we're in a vineyard. And I am the vine and this is a branch, and that's the fruit. If you were to walk up to the fruit, 
because it's dead right now, but in this picture it's not. And put your ear to the fruit. Be like, listen very carefully. You would not hear it going, That's not the way it works, right? This is Jesus' point. This is Jesus' point. When we abide in him and he abides in us, there will be fruit. Not because you've tried really hard, but because you are connected in a life-giving, close, intimate relationship with him. And when Jesus' life is present, fruit happens. He wants us to know that. So you don't, you don't have to stress about your new season, the next thing that God is calling in, you into. If you're in him and he's in you, there will be fruit. And you can rest in that. He wants us to trust the life of the vine and trust the love of the vine dresser. He, he will produce fruit. There will be fruit in your being and there will be fruit in your doing. Fruit in your being. See, how is it that we can be in God, in Jesus, and Jesus can be in us? I mean, I thought he was at the right hand of the Father. He ascended to the Father, right? Well, remember what he said? I will send another helper to be with you forever, and he will abide in you. See, Jesus sent his spirit, who is called the spirit of life, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth. He has many names, but he is fundamentally the spirit of Jesus Christ. And when we receive Jesus into our lives, when we turn from our way of doing things and our rebellion against God, and we surrender our lives to him, something transformational and regenerational happens. His spirit comes into us, and we begin to not only abide in him, but he begins to abide in us. And here's the thing about abiding. Whatever you abide in begins to abide in you. If you and I are abiding in Christ and his, his spirit is abiding in us, is connected in a life-giving relationship with us, the DNA of the spirit of Christ will reproduce itself in us. See, that's what's going on with the branch and the vine. The reason why the vine dresser has to tend for the vine is because the vine supplies life to the branch, which determines the quality and kind of fruit that it will produce. Right, And so because you and I are connected to Jesus in this life-giving relationship, his DNA is being reproduced inside of us and we are being transformed moment by moment, day by day, into the image of Jesus. That's what's happening. That's what the vine dresser is doing. But not only will there be fruitfulness in our being, there will be fruitfulness in our doing as well. Because that life is flowing through us. So whether it's in your parenting, or in that business meeting, or in your school, on your assignment, 
sharing the gospel with your neighbor, there will be fruitfulness in your doing because you're not doing it in your own effort. It's the life of Christ flowing through you. Isn't that amazing? There will be fruit because of that. And then he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I was telling you that God pruned me this weekend. In fact, it was yesterday morning. Um, it's very fresh. The juice is fresh. So um, I, I was preparing for this message. Um, I, I knew the general direction God wanted me to go. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was making some notes, just threw some stuff in Evernote where I keep my ideas. And I was like, I'll get back to that, right? So on Monday, I got back to it and I started developing the ideas more and trying to write the message, prepare it. Well, I've been actively trying to grow and improve in my ability to prepare and, and preach and teach for your benefit. You're welcome. Um, so, so this is what I did. Um, I, I got a book. I bought a book um, off of Amazon about preaching and a book I had found. I'd been listening to the audio on it. It was really helpful. So I had been kind of using this to, to go through it. And, um, but this is what was happening. I was getting nowhere as I was preparing this message. I, after Monday, I was like, it's okay. It's okay. There's still time. <laughs> that was awful, but there's, there's still time. There's Thursday. So I did some more work on Thursday. At the end of the day, Thursday, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not getting anywhere. I had so many ideas. I had so, much, so many things I could see. I didn't know what to prune, what to keep. I was like, I didn't, there's so much here, right? I was struggling. I was like, okay, I guess I'll be working on this on my day off on Friday. So I did. By the end of Friday, I am super discouraged because I'm like, I feel like I have spent hours and hours and hours on this, and I've gotten nowhere. Saturday morning, I got up. 6.30, went down to my office, sat in my chair, and I said, God, I don't know what is going on. I am praying. I'm doing everything the book says, and I'm not getting anywhere. <laughs> I am being faithful, God, and it's not working. I said, God, what, what's the problem? And this is what I heard him say. Apart from you, me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I had not realized it, but in my zeal and in my passion to try and grow and get better, I had turned preparing a sermon into a to-do list, into a system. I have good news for you. Abiding in Christ is not a system. It's not a to-do list. It's not a checklist. It is a relationship with a person. And I had missed it. It's rather embarrassing, especially given the topic that I'm speaking. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? I could just see him in heaven being like, no, hold it, hold back the revelation. Hold back the revelation. I'm pruning, pruning in process, right? But then when it, when it came together and I repented and I was like, God, I'm sorry. Wow. I'm serious. Half an hour, 
and I had pretty much rescued the entire message. It was almost ready. The, ba- the, the framework of it was pretty much done. Why? Because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Apart from his life, we can do nothing. I know most of you don't preach and all that stuff here, and I get that, but draw some parallels in your parenting. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. In your schoolwork, apart from Jesus, I mean, maybe you can get some good grades and everything because he gave you a sharp intellect, but the kind of fruit God has in mind won't happen. In the boardroom, same. Same thing. Abiding in Jesus is the key to fruitfulness. Apart from him, we can do nothing. It's not about our intelligence, our intellect. It's about his life flowing through us. Next, next thought. The reason why God wants you and I to be fruitful, the reason why Jesus used this picture is because he wants us to know that our fruitfulness is intended to bring glory to God. Your fruitfulness, my fruitfulness, is not about us. It's not about bringing glory to us. It's about bringing glory to him. What do I mean by that? I mean that as God, the vine dresser, transforms you into the image of Christ, as he makes you fruitful in your being and in your doing, it becomes attractive to the world around you. And they begin to notice. They begin to notice that something is different about you, that the life of God is at work in you, and they might not understand it. In fact, they probably won't. But what it will do is it will draw attention to God and what he is doing in you. But not only that, not only does our fruitfulness bring glory to God, but our fruitfulness also brings joy to us. Isn't that great? You were created for fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is impossible apart from Jesus. Your fruitfulness will bring glory to God, but God has designed it so that your fruitfulness will also bring joy to you. Why is that? First of all, it's because you and I were created for this relationship with Jesus that I have described to you. Abiding is not a checklist. It's not a system. It's not a to-do list. It is a relationship with a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And through his spirit, we can have a relationship with him. And when we experience that relationship, we are experiencing what we were created for. And when you touch and tap into what you were created for, it brings joy, doesn't it? But there's also joy that comes from the fruit we produce. There's joy that comes from knowing that we are glorifying God in everything we do. There's joy in knowing that God is pleased with what he sees on the vine, with the fruit that's there. It's rewarding, it's fulfilling, and it's satisfying. I want to close with a little bit of a some thoughts on how to apply this to our lives. As I mentioned, we are entering a new season. 
There are things ahead of us that are unknown. And abiding in Jesus is going to be the key to us being fruitful and successful, whatever you face this fall. But how do we abide? Like, how do we do that thing, that whole sharing of life thing? How does that work? I'm just going to give you very quickly a few things that I do to help stay in that connected and close relationship with Jesus. One of them, these are all very simple. It's not rocket science. One of them is I take time to be in God's word. I take time to study it. The way God's wired me, I love to just get in really deep into a small passage of scripture. I like to highlight it and underline and make notes and tear it apart and write stuff and just go over and over. Sometimes I'll just camp on something for a few days and just get into it and like draw everything out of it that I can. Hide it in my heart so that when I leave my Bible, the Bible has not left me. God's word has not left me. It's in my heart so that I can talk to God about it as I go about my day. Another thing I like to do is worship. To just get alone, maybe go on a walk, maybe in my car, maybe close the basement door so my family can't hear me wailing, and just worship and do it until I sense God's presence. You know, God's presence is in you. We've already talked about that. God's presence is here. But there's something special that happens when God allows his presence to become manifested and experienced by our senses. If you've experienced that, you know exactly what I mean. It's life-giving. And the last thing I do is I talk with God. Often it happens when I'm having a problem with sermons. That's not the only time I talk with God. But uh, just going for a walk in nature and pouring out my heart to God. Instead of turning on the radio and listening to music or putting on Spotify or something, just talking to God, sharing my life with him and allowing him to share his life with me. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. This week, in fact, even, maybe even today, pray, ask God what it is, what's one thing you can do to strengthen and develop your relationship with God so that it would be life-giving in the way he wants it to be. Maybe it's been dry for you. Maybe your relationship with God has turned from a relationship into a checklist. It happens to all of us. It's gone from being organic to a system. It happens to all of us. Today, I encourage you, pick one thing to begin doing that will help deepen that connection with Jesus. And as you do, fruit will start appearing where there wasn't fruit before. And there will be joy in your heart and there will be glory that goes to God. Because anywhere the life of Jesus is flowing, there will be fruit. Can you say, there will be fruit? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you that you have designed and created us for fruitfulness. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take the, these truths, this picture that Jesus painted for us, and apply it to our lives. Teach us to stay in a close, intimate, life-giving relationship with you. Not just being in Christ, but you and your life flowing through us.
I pray that there will be fresh fruit this fall and fresh joy among us because we are truly abiding in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Maybe this whole idea is brand new to you and you didn't even know you could have a relationship with God. I have good news for you. Relationship is the reason Jesus came. Relationship is the reason Jesus came. He came because the Father loves you. And because the Father loves you, He wanted to make a way for you to be in relationship with Him. And you may be thinking, well, I've done so many bad things in my life. I'm so distant from God. I'm ashamed of this and ashamed of that. And I just don't think God would accept me. But the Bible tells us that God came. Jesus came for sinners. He saves people in their sin and then out of it. And that's what he's done for many of us in this room. And if you want to begin a relationship with God today, the kind that I described and that Jesus talked about, it begins with turning your back on your old way of living separate from God, in rebellion against God, doing life your own way, living for yourself. And it means turning towards Jesus and saying, Jesus, I believe you are my Savior. I believe that your blood that you talked about in John 13 was the sacrifice that makes it possible for you to wash away all my sin. And I want a relationship with you. Forgive me. Forgive me. And make me your child. Make me a branch.